Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. your text open to Matthew chapter 11 that we read earlier. Uh, we have not abandoned the book of Colossians, however. Uh, if this is your first time worshiping with us, we have been going uh, through the book of Colossians rather rapidly. Nobody's paying attention to this. I, I just read the phone book and you didn't even hear it. But, uh, yeah. but uh, we've been going through the book of Colossians and the reason we're doing that is so that we can have clarity in a murky world. You remember that, um, that we live in a society, we live in a culture that's got all kinds of ideas floating around, all kinds of notions about what life is about and what, uh, how life ought to be lived and those kinds of things. And so uh, there's just sort of a fog out there. It's a murky world that we live in and we need to have clarity. We even have sort of a foggy notion within the church, the body of Christ so often, um, as to what uh, we ought to do and what we ought to teach and what we need to believe and those kinds of things. And we need clarity. And that's why we've been reading through the book of Colossians because Colossians points us to the uh, focal point of Christian faith and Christian life, and that is Jesus Christ. Uh, we, we started out in the first chapter, and there we have this uh, magnificent exposition of, this, of the supremacy of Christ and uh, that he is uh, indeed worthy of all praise and adoration. It's there in the first chapter that we learn that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, and the head of the body, the church. And knowing this about Christ, then the rest of uh, the world, the rest of our thoughts, our lives, they're pretty much clarified. We need to be focused in on Jesus Christ. So then we came to chapter 2 where Paul says, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, as you have put your faith, your trust, invested your life in this Jesus who is um, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, and the head of the body of the church. Are you getting the sense that these are three important things to know about Jesus? But as you have uh, invested your life in him, so walk in him. That's how your life ought to be lived out. It's that balance of grace that saves us and then the life that bears the fruit of righteousness in a worshipful response to the grace of God. And so, as you receive Christ, so walk ye in him. And what that means then is that we get rid of the philosophy of the world. We're not held captive by the thought processes and the values of the world, but rather we are focused in on Jesus Christ. And as a result, we have set our minds on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father. No longer um, just uh, mired down in earthly things, but now our lives living out in heavenly things. So that's, that's where we are in chapter 3. And so we come now to verse 12 of chapter 3, and we've been camped out here for the last several weeks where Paul says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility. We've talked about those these past three weeks. Meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if you have a complaint, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. We come this morning to that word um, gentleness or that word um, meekness. 
Oh, really? Now, it's been a dangerous thing preaching on these Christian virtues, putting them into your life. I mentioned a little bit of that last week that seems whatever the, the topic of the sermon is, God has, has taken the opportunity uh, to teach me something about that particular virtue. And don't you know this past week, um, I, I was not here Sunday night. I was in Ocean City at the state convention. This is the gathering of all the um, Southern Baptist churches in the Mel Maryland and Delaware uh, area. And uh, we came together for our annual convention in Ocean City. And now, I want you to know that I am the parliamentarian of the convention. Anybody wants to say, ooh, that's impressive. I mean, I am the parliamentarian. I, I, I know more wherefores and, and, and resolve thats and theretofores and all that. I, I, I can get you through the three different kinds of amendments that are broken down into two sections each with the special rules for the secondary amendments to each. You like that? Ooh. Folks. I am the knowledgeable one. Nobody knows as much about parliamentary procedure as I do. So I'm at the convention. You know, folks know I'm the parliamentarian, and they're not impressed enough, but, but they, you know, they know I'm the parliamentarian. So um, uh, we come to the business session, and, and uh, some people would say that the convention was peaceful. Uh, others would say it was apathetic, but the fact is nobody wanted to really do anything, so there wasn't that much business to do. And as a result, as parliamentarian, there was, there was nothing to parliament. And uh, so uh, that, that's pretty much what, what was going on. But we came to the, the section of the program where we're electing officers. And the Constitution of our convention says you have to elect a first a president, first vice president, second vice president, uh, recording secretary, etc. And so uh, we, we've elected a president, first vice president. We come to nominations are now open for second vice president. And, you know, my, the president of the convention is my friend, Bill. And uh, he and I went to a seminary together. We've known each other, uh, you know, 35 years, four, almost 40 years. And uh, so a good friend of mine, and, and he's presiding. And the nomination's open for second vice president. Nobody wants to be second vice president. Nobody wants to nominate their friend for second vice president. <laughs> Nobody wants to do anything at all. We're just there. So Bill turns to him and he says, Mr. Parliamentarian, what do I do? Now, right at that moment, the guy behind me had tapped me on the shoulder and he leans over and he says, do you want to be second vice president? Okay. And, I, and I'm, I'm saying to him, as Bill is asking me what to do, I'm saying to him, been there, done that, the answer is no. <laughs> All Bill sees is reading my lips. He thinks I've said, I don't know. <laughs> so he announces to the entire convention, ladies and gentlemen, the parliamentarian says he doesn't know what to do. <laughs> and now we come to meekness. <laughs> Meekness is not a word we use so much anymore. Uh, it was a good word back in the days of good King James and uh, when the, uh, um, the translators of the authorized version were, were you know, working with the um, Elizabethan English. And, uh, meekness at that time was a pretty good word. We just don't use it anymore. In fact, uh, if you ask most people what does meekness mean, they probably uh, think more about weakness than, than anything else. Uh, 
uh, I, at the early service, uh, because of uh, the nature of the congregation, I mentioned Casper Milk Toast. Anybody remember Casper Milk Toast? Uh, fine, a historian in our midst. You're too young to remember him. You just read about it. I know that. Uh, but he, he was this timid little cartoon character, and so uh, uh, Casper Milk Toast is sort of the image of, of meekness that people have in mind. Is, you know, you just, oh, excuse me for breathing. I'm sorry I'm here. Uh, you know, just, just ignore me, please, you know, that kind of thing. And we think that's meekness, and, and that's not what the English word means, and that's not what the Bible means. Uh, most of us are familiar that Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And when he was doing that, the, the readers would, or, or his listeners, would immediately have thought about uh, Psalm 37. You, you probably did too. But in Psalm 37, uh, the psalmist basically says, Why do the wicked prosper? Why? Why is it that the unrighteous have the other hand? Why is it that the world is being taken over by those folks who care nothing about God? And then the psalmist goes on to say, But I know that God is righteous, I know He is just, and I know that He is accomplishing His will, and that ultimately everything's going to work out the way that God has designed. And as a result of that, we know that the meek shall inherit the land. That, that phrase is actually in there in Psalm 37, 11. And when he says, the meek shall inherit the land, what he's saying is this, those who have confidence in God and are willing to put their trust and their hope and their faith in him, they shall reap the promise that God has given that he will provide a home, he will provide the land, an inheritance for Israel. And so when Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, he was essentially saying, blessed are those who put their confidence in God and don't have to get bent out of shape every time things aren't going right because they know the ultimate victory belongs to God and to God alone. And that's sort of what meekness is. It's the ability to not get kicked around by your emotions and not, not to be um, a sort of sidetracked by the events around you. And so when we come to this meekness thing, and Paul says, put on meekness, that's more of what we're talking about. We're talking about what we have seen in the life of Jesus Christ. Let me, let me give you a couple instances of that. Remember in the last day of his earthly ministry, uh, Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. Recall the stories? Uh, and and um, it, Anyway, he's coming into Jerusalem, and uh, uh, he, he tells two of his disciples, he says, I, I, I want you to... Uh, go into Jerusalem, and there you're going to find a donkey. And uh, you'll find the colt next to him. And I'm, I'm citing Matthew's version of the story. And he says, you'll, uh, uh, you'll find a donkey. I want you to bring that donkey here. The Bible says, oh, okay. And they go into town, and they get the donkey, and they bring it back with the colt. They take off their cloaks, and they throw the cloaks over the donkeys. And Jesus sits on the donkey and rides into Jerusalem. Rides into Jerusalem. Now, Matthew tells us, this is Matthew 21, 5. Matthew says, this is a fulfillment of prophecy. Because in Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah said that the king of Israel would come riding on a donkey. Here's, here's how Zechariah put it. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you humble. That word humble, by the way, is the Greek word for meek. That's why we're reading this. Um, the, the, the word meek, in, in the, the Greek word, is, is translated as meek, as gentle, and as humble. So the, the, the word family has to do with gentleness, humility, and here, meekness. 
But uh, so in, in the ESV that I'm reading this morning, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble or meek, and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Okay, fine, we know that story. Do you realize we have just glossed over the magnificent grace of God? The absolute grace of God. How does a king come into a city? A king comes into a city riding on a charger. A king comes into a city riding on a horse, powerful beast of war. King comes in with his regalia and his power and his magnificent showing. And when he comes in, he's got an army trailing behind him. And you go into the city and you conquer the city, you take over the city. And you wipe out your enemies. This is what a, you expect of a king coming on a charger, on a horse. But when the king comes in riding on a donkey, he is coming in not to destroy, but to save. Not to execute judgment, but to execute salvation. Not to take his enemies and put them to the sword, but to take those who are enemies of his and bring them to life. And forgiveness that little donkey had a name it was grace okay that 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 animal is the grace of God and that's what we're talking about when we're talking about the meekness of Jesus Christ you see Aristotle defined meekness as uh, that quality that is between irrational anger and cold indifference. Irrational anger, cold indifference. I learned something about irrational anger this week. Okay? Uh, when I heard the news coming out of Paris, maybe you had the same response I had. Okay, it's about time we bomb somebody. You know, it's about time we launched the drones and the airstrikes. It's about time we, we, you know, we, we got tough with these people. It's about time somebody got killed here. And irrational anger was my response. And as I thought about that, I was so thankful that God did not respond to me like that. Now, God is a God of justice and holiness and righteousness, and he is a God of wrath. But in his patience toward us, he has withheld his wrath and his judgment on a sinful world that we might have opportunity to repent and to come to him. And rather than this anger and irrational anger and wrath that I would have had, God has kindness. He is gentle towards me. He is meek toward us. And particularly in Jesus Christ, he is meek toward us. He is gentle toward us. Some of you may have grown up in, in church traditions that were all about the unreasonable, irrational anger of God. And all you heard was that you step out of line, God's going to get you. you. If you sin just a little bit, God's going to punish you. And if you misbehave just one little bit, if your thought life is a little bit off, if your emotional life is a little bit off, then all God wants to do is destroy you. He's looking for an excuse to, to do you in. And you thought God was this, this oppressive, angry God. And you did not know that God loved us so much that he sent Jesus Christ to die for us when we were sinners, at odds, enemies of God. That is the kindness of God, and that is the meekness of Christ toward us.
But how thankful we are that God is not coldly indifferent toward us either. I mean, think what would happen if God just looked at your life and said, you know, I, I really don't care what you do. I, I, I just don't care. Yeah. You want to go off in sin? Fine with me. Go ahead. You, you want to destroy your life? Go ahead. You want to engage in behaviors and develop habits and, 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 and enter into relationships that are absolutely uh, destructive and bringing the power of death and the paralysis of the fear of death into your life? Go ahead. I don't care. I got a place prepared for you. It's called hell. And I really don't care if you go there. But our God is not coldly indifferent toward us. He sees our every, every wound in our hurt. And he loves us as we are. But he loves us too much to leave us there. He lives, loves us so much that he brings us up out of darkness and death into the light of Jesus Christ. And when the grace of God is poured out into a life, we are made whole again. God is not indifferent to us. Folks, I love the song we just, we just listened to. You know, earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. Folks, earth has no sorrow that heaven does not want to heal and desires to heal in your life. So God is not coldly indifferent to us. He's not irrationally angry. He's absolutely righteous and just. He's absolutely holy. There is something called the wrath of God, but there is also something called the grace of God. And in perfect balance, he brings those into our lives to lead us to him for his glory and our welfare. And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about meekness or gentleness in Christ. Now, look with me at, at, at uh, the passage we read earlier. This is Matthew chapter 11. It's Matthew chapter 11. I want to start at verse 25. And at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to children. I'm kind of glad God didn't reveal the things to the wise and understanding. Um, he, Jesus referring there to the Sadducees, to the Pharisees, those who were experts, who were scholars in the law, those who knew it all. And so they had the intellect, they had the capacity, they were qualified to understand the revelation of God's grace in Jesus Christ. And so if God only revealed himself to those who were qualified, I am not qualified. Hate to say it, neither are you. If God said, my grace comes to those who have enough understanding to comprehend what I'm all about, we're sunk. Because we could never understand the depth of God's grace. We could never comprehend the, the majestic beauty of his love and mercy toward us. If it only came to those who were wise, who could figure it out and who could chart their path to get back to God from where they were, we're sunk. I'm not wise enough. You're not wise enough. There's not any human wisdom that will bring us unto the Father. And so Jesus said, God, I, I thank you, Father, that you've revealed this to children, to those who are in process 
to those who don't quite understand it, but they're willing to accept it, to those who are dependent, those who cannot assert themselves, those who are considered on the lowest rung of the family structure. Father, I thank you that you acted out of grace and have revealed yourself to children, and you've shown this magnificent grace to children. And that's how we come to to Christ. That's how we come into the kingdom, as little children. So God says, I I thank you you that you haven't set this impossible standard that nobody can reach before we can come to you. I thank you that it's just wide open to anybody who comes like a child. Comes like a child. Okay. For such was your gracious will. Then Jesus says this. He says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. The next time somebody says, you know the Bible, Jesus never, in the Bible, Jesus never says he is God. You show him this verse. Jesus never said, I am God. He just said, I've got everything God has. I know everything God knows. I can do everything God does. Everything that belongs to God belongs to me. This is like a pretty big claim, folks. All right, just come back to that. But uh, uh, all, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. Folks, if the verse ends right there, we're in trouble. So no one can know God the Father. To know hints, you, you can look at evidences, but to know the fullness of who God is, you can't do it. No one knows the Father, and you cannot know the Son. You will not know who Jesus Christ is. You can't comprehend him. And if the verse ends right there, he says, no one knows the Father, no one knows the Son. But then what does he say? No one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. We know the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is grace, magnificent grace uh, coming to us. So um, so what does Jesus say? He he said, look, you can't make it. You can't understand it. You're floundering around. There's no way for you to get to the Father. He's he's just way beyond you. But he has chosen to reveal himself to you as, as little children, and he does so through the Son, through Jesus Christ. So now we have the setup. To know the Father, we must know the Son. The Son reveals the Father to us. That's why we are saved through Jesus Christ. And Christ has come to us. Now, having said that, that's the context in which he says, verse 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest. Some of you are just about worn out. Some of you are just about worn out. You put up a pretty good front. Nobody can really tell, but inside, you, you pretty much know I'm about one click away from a meltdown. And you're just about worn out and you're weary. And the heavy burdens are upon you. For some, it's the burden of sin. You don't need anybody to try to convince you that there's sin in your life. You just know it. You've got enough sense to realize you're doing things that are destructive to yourself, destructive to others, that are, that are harming your relationships. You, you realize that there's sin in your life that even you loathe and despise. And that burden and that weight of sin, because how many times have you said, I promise never again, I promise never again, and over and over again you keep coming back to it and back to it, and you're just about worn out. 
And in gentleness, Jesus says, come to me when you're just about worn out. Oh, the grace of Christ. That he, that he didn't say, come to me when you get your act together. He didn't say, come to me when you've got something to offer. He didn't say, come to me when, when you finally are, are willing to work. He just said, come to me when you're worn out. And when you're absolutely devastated by your sin, you come to me. I know it's a burden. I'll give you rest. Some of you are worn out by life. You know, you, you, you're just worn out by the things that are, that are coming at you. Sometimes it's, it's one problem after another after another. Just about the time you think you, this problem's almost under control, another one uh, comes in. You think you've got this one down up, it pops, you know, uh, somewhere else. Um, and, and the grief has come over and over again and quickly and just one on top of another. And you're just worn out by life. And Jesus said, come to me if you're worn out. I'll give you rest. This is the gentleness of Christ. Irrational anger would say, all right, you messed up your life, you suffer the consequences. Irrational anger would say, don't bother me, I didn't make you do it, it's not my problem. Cold indifference would say, don't come to me, I can't be bothered. But the gentleness of Christ says, come to me all you... You're weary, you're heavy laden, you're worn out. Come to me, I'll give you rest. Okay, let me leave the sermon here for a moment. Why would you wait? Why would you tarry? Why would you wait even a single moment? And Jesus will give you rest. Why would you say tomorrow? Why would you say this afternoon? Why would you wait till the end of the sermon when kneeling before Christ and just coming to him in faith, you can know the rest that he gives? This rest isn't just nap time. It's not just an emotional, you know, a time to, to sleep it off. The rest Christ gives is an everlasting rest and an all-encompassing rest, and an all-sufficient rest that totally, completely, and absolutely restores your life. Why will you wait another moment? Right now, come to Christ. Jesus said, you come to me, I'll give you rest. And then he says this, take my yoke upon you. Now, what's with this? He says, I'll give you rest, and here's a yoke. No. Um, uh, people have, have talked about and commentators talk about what, what the nature of the yoke is and all that. All, what, what I can tell you is it's, it's probably a, a human yoke. That is a, it's a stick that goes across the shoulders to help you carry things and, and to get the, the, the job done. And it needs to be shaped for the, for the neck area so that it doesn't bite into you. That's what's called being an, a light or an easy yoke upon you. That, that's the technicalities of it. Um, be thankful at the early service I started giving them the history of the technology of yokes and uh, horse collars and the invention of the horse collar was a major step in the advancement of human civilization um, but uh, I won't tell you that <laughs> but Jesus says take my yoke and the rabbis used to talk like this they used to say you know there's the yoke of the Torah you know, 
And by that they meant there's a burden of keeping the Torah. There, there's the weight of keeping the Torah as you go through life. And Jesus said, take my yoke. Why? What does he say? For I am gentle and lowly of heart. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. See, again, that beautiful balance of the grace of God leading to the fruit of righteousness. And it's the grace of God working all the way through. So Jesus says it this way. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Literally, be my disciple. Learn from me. For I am, here's the word, gentle. It's the same word as meek. That's why we're reading this. This is the meekness of Christ extending an invitation to all who will come, no matter what the burden, no matter how worn out you are, the invitation of Christ, come to me. I'll give you rest. For I am gentle and lowly. That, by the way, is the word for humble that we read back in Colossians 3, 12. Lowly in heart, you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. That's the word for kindness that we read back in Colossians 3, 12. Uh, the, the Greek vocabulary in Colossians 3.12 is here. Uh, it, almost all of it is here in, in uh, Matthew chapter 11. It says, I'm gentle, lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Jesus offered that, that invitation because of his kindness, because of his gentleness, because of his meekness toward us. Let me just take you one other place. As he was dying on the cross, suffering the physical pain, but the spiritual pain of our sin upon his shoulders. And not only that, the weight and the burden of the punishment of our sin. So he cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he experienced the God forsakenness that our sin deserves. Now, that's what's going on in the life of Jesus right now at, at, on the cross. And there's two thieves, one on either side. And the one guy is just making fun of Jesus. He said, you know, hey, you, you, you thought you were somebody. Save yourself. Save us. Come on, razzle-dazz Jesus. Kind of an impolite thing to say. But the other thief says, Lord I'm just going to fill in the blanks here. Lord, there was a day that you said that if I was heavy laden and if I was worn out to the point of breaking, that I could come to you and you'd give me rest. Lord, I, I remember the day that you said that the grace of God isn't for the good people who are righteous and acclaimed by mankind, but it's for little children who sometimes mess up really badly. Lord, I remember that there was a day that you said that if I couldn't go another step, I could come to you and you would give me rest. Lord, remember me when you come into my kingdom. The wrath, the anger would say, this you deserve, deal with it. Cold indifference would have said, you got problems, I got problems, don't bother me. But the gentleness of Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. 
And why would you wait? Why would you delay a moment longer? So put on this kind of meekness, this kind of gentleness. Put on Christ so that the grace of God that brought you to the Savior will be seen in your life and will be an invitation for others to come and find rest. Let's bow together in prayer. Gracious Father, I thank and praise you that you love us and are concerned for us, have compassion for us. And Father, that you have sent your Son to die for us in that perfect balance of grace and mercy, righteousness, holiness, and forgiveness. Father, there's somebody here this morning. They need that rest. Let your Holy Spirit come to that heart. Let your Holy Spirit, Father, give the courage of faith to reach out to Christ, to come to him and discover what it means to come to Jesus who is meek toward us that we might find rest. Father, I ask it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.